Hello everyone, it's Mark Goodacre here. Welcome to the NT Pod, the podcast all about the New Testament and Christian origins. It's episode 49 and today we're asking, what is the third quest of the historical Jesus? I was lucky to be a student in Oxford back in the 1980s when three figures who became really big names in historical Jesus studies were all present. Geza Vermesh, Ed Sanders and Tom Wright. Now at the time, Geza Vermesh was already a bit of a minor celebrity. He was the kind of person, you know, that if you were someone like me who'd watched television documentaries and things, you knew his face and you knew his distinctive sounding voice. He'd written a book in 1973 called Jesus the Jew and it was quite influential and the the point of it was that it stressed Jesus's Jewish context and the importance of seeing Jewish materials from the first century not as a sort of background to the New Testament as as was so often the case uh, in the way that people talked about it at the time but instead rather witnesses to Jesus that that these sources themselves actually helped us to understand Jesus it wasn't just that there was some kind of backdrop and then you put Jesus in front of it and it was a very influential and very important kind of book We didn't, as students, get much of Vermesh uh, lecturing to us, though, uh, because we were undergraduates and he was over lecturing in the Oriental Institute to graduate students, although people like me would try and get along to hear him when they could. I remember listening to him talking about his appearance on Jesus the Evidence once in a public lecture. And I remember, too, going along to classes that he gave on things like the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Testaments of the Twelve Patriarchs. And there was a sense of being quite special in those contexts because you would only get a handful of people going along to listen to these more abstruse sort of subjects. But there was another figure in Oxford at the time, E.P. Sanders, the Dean Island Professor of the Exegesis of Holy Scripture, as he was called. And it was he, he seemed rather different to us because at that time, most of our teachers were Anglican males they were they were usually uh, in fact uh, clergymen and he wasn't he was american and he was enormously compelling i i would say that he was one of the two most compelling lecturers i've ever heard the other one being michael golder you would just hear every word and find it all fascinating and part of it was you knew that he knew what he was talking about you knew that he knew the stuff and one of the things that he contributed to the jesus quest was a full appreciation of Jesus in his Jewish context and a full understanding of the importance of Jesus's eschatology. Eschatology being the study of the end times, the end things, and an appreciation that if you study Jesus, you must understand him as an eschatological figure. I mean, Sanders in the end describes Jesus, the historical Jesus, as a restoration prophet, a prophet of the restoration of Israel. Sanders used to fill the whole of one of those huge South schools and the examination schools in Oxford. And and people loved going to listen to him uh, talk. He, he later moved to Duke University and spent the rest of his career there before he retired in 2005. Now, it wasn't just Sanders, though, and Vermesh at this time who were in Oxford and relevant to what became the third quest of the historical Jesus. There was also a character called Tom Wright, who was a complete unknown at the time. He arrived at Oxford, if my memory serves me right, in about 1986. He was the chaplain of Worcester College, and he quickly got a huge number of people coming to his classes. I 
tended to find him a little bit conservative for my slightly more sceptical kind of liberal sort of tastes. But nevertheless, trying to be open-minded, he was hugely compelling, hugely interesting and really knew his stuff. And I was fascinated by this survey that he did at the beginning of his Historical Jesus course where he tried to locate himself and various other people in what he saw as the history of Jesus research. The way he saw it was that you'd got a kind of first quest, which was broadly speaking the 19th century. And during that first quest, you have people who are trying to picture Jesus in their own image. And that's the real sort of problem with it, that they kept depicting Jesus as a kind of pleasing, ethical, liberal style 19th century preacher. And they didn't pay proper attention to Jesus's eschatology. And the way Wright saw it was that Schweitzer, Albert Schweitzer, comes along and just dashes all that stuff to bits, throws it all away and causes a great revolution with his quest of the historical Jesus book, which comes about in 1906 and then is um, translated into English as quest of the historical Jesus in 1910. And, and, and for Wright, Schweitzer kind of blew all of that stuff away from the 19th century, caused a big kind of headache for people that came after him that resulted in a sort of no quest period where there was no questing going on and then in Wright's scheme what happens is you get this new quest of the historical Jesus that arises in the 1950s and 60s in Germany it's a very German kind of affair and the new quest was it, it was it was something where the importance of the historical Jesus for theology was paramount. And, and a lot of what they were doing was stressing how the historical Jesus can fit into some kind of New Testament theology. He was not any longer, as Rudolf Bultmann had wanted it, the presupposition for New Testament theology. Instead, he was becoming part of it itself. But for Wright, the problem with the new quest is that it didn't really come to terms with Schweitzer's biggest kind of bombshell which is the idea of painting Jesus in your own image and for him what happened is they were still making Jesus out to be like themselves like 1950s and 1960s Germans and so in comes all of these new historical Jesus scholars in the 70s and 80s people like Vermesh and like Sanders and Wright added a few other people like Harvey and Borg into this kind of mix at the time and he said what should we call this new wave because in, for him this new wave really stressed Jesus's Jewish context and really stressed Jesus as an apocalyptic Jewish prophet and Wright said well if you've got the first quest which is ended with Schweitzer and then you've got this new quest then this is the third quest, right? And so he called it the third quest of the historical Jesus. And it made it some, he, he made it something which stressed Jesus as a Jew in a Jewish context and stressed apocalyptic eschatology as key to understanding who Jesus was back in the first century. And he felt that this, this was Jesus' research really finally getting onto the right kind of tracks. Now, it's interesting because this term the, the third quest really caught on and people just started using it for any contemporary research on the historical Jesus they just talked about it as third quest stuff and third quest you know was around in fact most people have forgotten that it was Tom Wright that uh, coined the term the third quest and it's even applied now to material that doesn't fit that kind of 
profile of stressing Jesus's Judaism and stressing Jesus's eschatology, especially his apocalyptic eschatology at all. And there's, there's a big question now because there's a, there's a huge strand of historical Jesus study represented broadly by people like John Dominic Crossan and uh, the late Robert Funk and the Jesus Seminar, which don't easily fit the kind of profile that was set up by Wright when he's trying to say what this third quest is. And it does, after a while, get a little bit silly, this stuff does, because you end up with arguments, well, is this person a third quest scholar or not? And is this person a renewed new quester or not? And when things get like that, you have to stand back and say, well, look, what are we actually doing here? Are we spending more time talking about the scholars than we're talking about the subject we're trying to study? And I think it can get all you know terribly silly and and recently dale allison put put in an excellent uh, corrective here and just said look is it is it is there really a third quest at all anyway these things uh, get get really kind of absurd when you look into them in any detail and he pointed out that it wasn't really ever a phase where there was a no quest anyway and the the years of the supposed no quest in fact had dozens of books being published on the historical Jesus and he just prefers to talk about contemporary Jesus research and and just look at it in all its variety and I think one of the great things about looking at the variety of contemporary Jesus research is that there's an intellectual stimulation that comes from looking at people's disagreements with one another and trying to squeeze things into a particular mold of third quest scholarship in the end actually doesn't do anybody any particular favours. That's not to say, though, that I don't think that there haven't been really important steps forward in the last generation. I'm not one of those pessimists about scholarship that thinks that things just keep going backwards and backwards and forwards and round and round and pendulum swings. I think we have made real gains. And one of the biggest gains is actually spending time really looking at Jewish materials from the first century and the surrounding era in order to try and understand Jesus's context better. I think that's a huge step forward that really is inaugurated with Geza Vermesh's work in the 1970s and carried forward big time with E.P. Sanders's work. And as I've probably indicated before, I'm a big fan of E.P. Sanders and I think one of the mistakes that's made regularly in Jesus research is that people try and build on a foundation that they haven't really properly appreciated or understood. For me, let's just go back and spend a bit of time really coming to terms with Sanders's major contributions to the Jesus quest. That's one of the things which I would say is really, really key. There are so many useful things in his approach and I hope to come to them in some future episodes of the NT part. But I think there's one other great gain in recent Jesus research, and that's that it is finally something approaching, at least for many people, a properly historical task. What was wrong about so much Jesus research in the past is that people were struggling to try and integrate the historical Jesus into their kind of theology and making that the centre of things. And that meant that historical Jesus study could only properly be done by Christian theologians. Really, historical Jesus research in the contemporary world it's more democratic it's more open it's more international and it's about history and i think here this is one of the things where gaze of Hermesh's work is in the end very important and people always stress the title of his book jesus the jew 
But what might in the end be more important is the subtitle of that book, The Historian's Reading of the Gospels, because what he wanted to stress is that the historian has got work they can do on this, and the historian sometimes can appeal to a broader audience and can use that appeal to the broader audience to rethink the way that they do the work. In the end, scholarship is about groups of people coming together from their different perspectives and using public evidence and public argumentation. And that, I think, makes research in, into the historical Jesus something that still has quite a long way to go and still going to be yielding all sorts of interesting things in the coming years, I think. Well, thanks for listening to the latest episode of the NT Pod. It's great to have your company. You can find me on the web at podacre.blogspot.com. You can find me on Facebook at NT Pod, on Twitter at NT Pod, or of course on iTunes or Duke University's iTunes U. Thanks very much for listening, and I look forward to being with you again soon. Bye bye. Oh, one more thing. Um, it's funny that a couple of people that I've talked to recently have said they thought that, they just assumed that the music for the NT pod is uh, Joan Osborne's One of Us. And I listened to it again and I, I see what they mean. There is a kind of similarity, but no, it's not. It's a group you probably wouldn't have heard of called Ram 2000 and the track is Me and You and it's available under a Creative Commons uh, license. I just thought I'd throw that in just for your interest as a little footnote at the end of the pod.